stand out from the crowd? Are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support and show the world you're something special. The following audio entertainment is brought to you by the kind folks at Tyrell Corporation, reminding you that civil registration isn't just common sense, it's the law. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. And today our guest is Joanna Cassidy. Thank you so much for being here. Joanna Cassidy, I am here, <laughs> happily. I know, we can't even believe it. This, thank you so much. Your house is amazing. Thank it's you. just, uh, I know thank we've you. been talking about this for a while and Paul hooked us up with you. Um, so we're just overjoyed to be here. So. Well, good, good. And this is the year too. This is the year. 2019. Very special year. This is the deal. So we have to pay uh, great respect to that movie, which Absolutely. I, I still to this day think is one of the best movies ever made in every way. We're all in agreement. Yeah, we, we agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's I think right. that's why you're here. <laughs> so to kind of open us up, uh, you are from New Jersey? I am. You were, can you kind of tell us about like how you got into acting? I know that you're an artist, but I know that it didn't start in acting. No, no, it didn't at all. In fact, I was I was laughing the other day. I was I was Miss New Jersey Horse Show, and Miss New Jersey Horse Show, Horse Show, yes, <laughs> not Horse Show, Horse Show. <laughs> a, a careful distinction. <laughs> and uh, and then when I I was accepted at Boston University and RISD and Syracuse. And when I, I did choose Syracuse, I didn't end up at RISD because when my mother and father and I were there for the interview, one of the students jumped out of the third story building and committed suicide. Oh so we, oh my God. daddy said, get in the car, get in the car. We're moving on. Wow. <laughs> we don't want you here in goth clothes and, uh, <laughs> you know, jumping out windows. But I said, oh, come on, daddy, have a sense of humor for heaven's sake. <laughs> so we went on and... Then just, just to show where things go. I was the, uh, the guys from A five put me up as Miss Syracuse, and I I was the first freshman to ever win that award as, wow. as wow. the Syracuse homecoming queen. So I didn't know where it was all going. It was nice. It was very nice. It, it sort of uh, allowed me to know that I could talk. Because that's sort of how I got it, is by talking. I certainly wasn't a beautiful blonde, you know, stunning, uh, uh, you know, senior or sophomore or whatever. I was just a little freshman. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. But anyway, I could talk. So, uh, um, and then I got married and came to the West Coast with my then husband. Um, he was a doctor. So he took up at Mount Zion Hospital, and I really was uh, a mother and a housewife for several years. That being said, I wanted to do something else in life, and 
somebody saw me in the modeling agency and said, well, you, there's this woman casting a movie. Why don't you go see her? I said, I don't have an agent. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And he said, just call her up. And I said, great idea. I'll call her up. So I did. And I said, hi, this is Cassidy. You need to meet me. And she said, okay, come on over. <laughs> wow. I'll never forget the line because it was just so, it was so kind of ballsy. But you could do those sorts of things those days. And um, she hired me. So I, what, what made you say that? Did you just feel like that was sort of the angle you wanted to come from? Do you remember that decision? About the, you know, this is about Cassidy, you need to meet line. me? Yeah, right. I think the expression comes from innocence is bliss. Hmm. When you don't know that you're not allowed to do something, you come yeah. from your absolute essence and your soul and you say how you feel without editing yourself. And I was in a really good mood, and I just thought that'd be funny to say. And I knew I'd get a, some kind of response. <laughs> right. That obviously worked. Yeah. And, and it worked, and I, and I, yeah, she read me, and I, I got the job. I mm -hmm. met, the, met the director, Stuart Rosenberg, and got the job. And that was The Laughing Policeman yeah. with Walter Matthau and Bruce Dern. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You got that job. Did doors just kind of open up for you easily after that? Or? Not yet. No, no. It's... It, took a little while, but, but it turns out that the casting woman, Joyce Selznick, uh, was also a manager. So she said, I'd love to manage you. I discovered Candace Bergen and Tony Curtis oh. and a few others. Why don't you let me manage you? I said, great. So we did projects, and, and it didn't open up because I, I, re I was pretty resistant to this new lifestyle and I had two young children, and I was 28, and I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do, and I, but I had to do something, because I had three of us to feed, and that was sort of it, and I got some things, and uh, some time went on, and I dabbled a little bit with television, but it, it, at the time, television was, you either did one or the other, you did movies or TV, and she was not into flipping that coin. So uh, there was a little bit of a wait. I did a few things. Um, and then that was in the 70s. And then 1982 came around and I was, I was, I met Ridley Scott and I got hired for that. And then I got, then I got Under Fire. And then I got Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm -hmm. and so on. And <clears throat> so it, you carried on. What was it like to kind of go from, because you were sort of reluctant in the beginning, it sounds like, sort of the career kind of found you. Um, what was it like as it sort of took on a life of its own as the 1980s went on? Was that sort of surreal? I think you have to have, as a, as a female, you really have to have, it would have been nice if I had had a mentor. Hmm. Uh, I came from a middle-class family that had no aspirations of, doing or being anything other than that life. Mm -hmm. Young people, parents, marriage, grandchildren, death. I didn't know anything. I, at one point, I had asked my parents to send me to New York so I could dance. No, absolutely not. You're not going to New York. Nope. And so that sort of quashed any, you know, dreams that I had of 
being a New Yorker and hanging out in New York and meeting all these incredibly interesting people. Because, you know, I grew up, it was near Philadelphia. I was in Haddonfield. And you just kind of, you were there, and then New York was there. You could. It was an hour and a half ride, bus ride, to get to New York, and I I didn't really do it on my own. I didn't know anyone, so it was. I was really raised in that very small town mentality, and um, so it it actually was a huge leap of faith for me, even to marry this man and go to California. It was huge. I knew no one in California. And he went because of him, right, you said? Because of him. Yeah, because of his career? Yes. Yeah. He was. He had uh, accepted um, an internship there. And, you know, next comes residency. Next comes the service if you can't get out of that. And so that was a, a stint. You know, that was a big amount of time you had to put in before you became professional yeah. or started being paid for what you do. And in the meantime, uh, because of his practice, he uh, treated a lot of interesting patients. Grace Slick was one of them. Um, oh, Pearl. Pearl became one of our friends, and she would invite us to all the concerts. We would go in and, and oh, my God. I, I, I mean, the stories were just amazing. Anyway, we always ended up in the front row. So that was kind of cool. So I got to see that side of entertainment. And music was not my thing, really. But it was fascinating to see how people could actually get up on stage and perform live in front of a huge audience and pull it off. I thought that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided to model part-time, just to bring in some extra money. And I just thought, well, I need to do something outside of the house besides being a mother. This is just not quite cutting it for me. And I was young and spirited, and I did that. So I did some modeling. Uh, Tried to do it in New York when he was in the service, and (laughs) they told me I I would have to lose at least 15 pounds. Now, I was like... 120 at the time. So we're wow. talking about me becoming probably less than Twiggy. And I, 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 I can't do that. I can't. As it is, I'm drinking coffee. Those, that's my meal and cigarettes. I can't yeah. lose five more pounds. Are you kidding me? So that was a no-go on that. But I did model in San Francisco. And that's where we lived most of the time. And um, then when we parted company, I took the children here. I had one friend here by that time. Had to find a home and get myself set up. And it was a very freakish time for a young woman to come to a town alone and not really know where it was all going to go. I mean, it it was freaky. But as all things turn out, and this is why I have to write a book for young women, because when you are attractive, you're, you're bait, and uh, it's the old bait and switch. You have to know how to handle yourself. And most young girls are never taught that, mm-hmm. never taught the skill of 
being a young human female. And I'm serious. Especially with the the industry the way it was at that point, which obviously we're in a whole different environment now, but that was like men did what they wanted to. That's exactly right. No one's even heard my Me Too stories. Maybe if I write that book, I'll, you know. Yeah, I would imagine. But I just, I, I just, you know, it was pretty devastating. But at the same time, I had a lot of laughs. A lot of laughs. There was one guy who <laughs> he was a huge producer, and he uh, he fancied himself a hypnotist. <laughs> so I, I went in this one day, <laughs> and he said, you sit over there, and you're going to watch my pocket watch, and I'm going to hypnotize you. Oh, God. And I'm going, huh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so... He gets into it, and he's talking to me softly, and I close my eyes. I, I follow all the instructions. I'm not hypnotized, i got to tell you. I am not. And he tells me, okay, when I say the word chicken, you are going to get up, you're going to wake up, and you're going to come over and sit in my lap and kiss me. Ugh, wow. Oh, my God. God. Blah, blah, blah. Da, da, da chicken I got up I sat in his lap and I smacked him across <laughs> the face so hard that's awesome I think I broke some teeth <laughs> that's amazing this is Zora she's trained for an off world kick murder squad talk about beauty and the beast she's both wow wow he thought he was going to get away with that Yes, he did. And I'm sure that there were many young girls that he did get away with wow. with that. That is so, t- as, a, as, a, as, a, as a man, that's something that, especially growing up now, um, I feel like a lot of us are just kind of becoming aware that things have been like that historically. A lot mm. of us who haven't, you know, been um, around in, in this industry or anything for, for very long. It's, it's, it's horrifying for a lot of us to hear these stories. And so I, I would personally love to see that book someday. I think that would be... Well, it is oh, yeah. horrifying because you have, you know, Weinstein will come back. He'll bounce back. I th- I'm sure he will. You think? I uh, do. Uh-huh. I do. Forgiveness for guys in this town. Look at Moonves. Yeah. He's opening a huge company now. Yeah, I know. And he had uh, enough counsel that he sold his stock right before he knew he was going to be outed. And he was out of there with a lot of money come on these guys hang together mm-hmm. this is a boys club yeah. we know that do you think though do you see fundamental change though even though there are stories of people maybe bouncing back well i do and let me ask you guys a question if i were to teach classes who would it be better to teach would it be better to speak with young men or young women mm, that's young actually men. Yeah. but i think that because Onus of, of uh, behavior starts with someone who's being behaving, like you know, growing up. Oh, make sure you dress right. Make sure you. But a lot of the the clapbacks from that have been, well, why don't you teach your sons how to treat women? Well, why don't you teach your sons that it doesn't matter what she's wearing or how drunk she is. This is how you treat a woman. Yeah. It's not about her making sure that she's not seducing him. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah, I read it put really well recently uh, online. A woman made the comment. She said, if you're teaching your daughters 
that they need to be careful how they're acting and how they're dressing around men to make sure that nothing bad happens to them. What you're really teaching them is make sure that something bad happens to the other girls, but not to you. And it's like, there really should be a more cultural shift. And I think to answer your question about teaching men versus teaching women, I think it's totally important for you to be a mentor to other women the way you wish you had had one yourself. But at the same time, it's really important the way we talk to each other as men when there aren't women around. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important that you Mm -hmm. check each other, even on jokes and things like that, things that are like normal banter and stuff. I think the change really has to come from within that cultural group in terms of doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. I I do too. I I do too. That, that chit chat amongst men has got to be totally respectful as well. Not the fact that you get away from women and can carry on about them, but mm-hmm. amongst yourselves to have that ideal, deal, you know the word I mean, <laughs> and uh, learn, relearn that thinking and and become that man. I mean, I I think it's kind of crucial. Yeah, your peer group has the most. Yes, impact, exactly. I think, so. Was there a moment in your, like, what was that big moment in your earlier career where it kind of pushed you into a, I would say, I don't want to know, know if the term higher places, but you, obviously you're going on um, Johnny Carson, you have a lot of attention, you're getting nominated for awards. When did that shift begin? Was it a certain role on a certain show that you were nominated or it gave, gave you more spotlight? Well... Like I said before, it was, you know, it was early on. I mean, I had that beauty and all that other stuff going on, and I was funny and fun and very witty. I mean, I could go to a party and just keep the whole party laughing all night. I mean, I'm confident, really I funny. Yeah. And quite honestly, that got a little scary because with that comes just such responsibility, and then all of a sudden, you are out there. And that really, I, I don't, honestly, I don't think that's my real nature because there's, there's a huge part of me that's a scientist that loves to be behind the scenes. I like to see how things are edited. I really study all those things. I'm, and the costumes and the looks. I, I, it's hard to be in front of a camera, let me tell you. And now that I'm, you know, of an age and it hasn't stopped me working at all and I I but there is a point in time where ageism k- kicks in and it's early and it's getting earlier and earlier so to stay in a business that feels that way where you you know you can easily be tossed and and there have been a lot of tragedies in this town which I'm sure you're aware of um, that have come from that very feeling mm-hmm. I've always had a lot of other interests <laughs> which which has saved me you know I'm a photographer I, I I do that and I'm a for a while I had a landscaping landscaping business and wow. so I move around I'm, I'm I cover my bases I'm not going to put all my you know ducks in one basket I'm just not going to do that I don't think in uh, this life, plus plus the fact that I'm, who knows how many times I'm here. I've been told I've had a lot of past lives, but 
you know, <laughs> this is the one I'm experiencing right now, right. so why not have a good experience of, and do a lot of things, right. which I'm very capable of doing. I like to design homes. I, I love uh, interior design. So, you know, there's all that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you mentioned um, you were going, you were visiting RISD, which uh, you know I, I live pretty close to it, so I, I know it's a it's a it's a really prestigious art school. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you at the time pursuing in terms of art? Like, what what, what were your early interests in that? Sculpture and painting. Cool. And you've kept up with those over the years. My sculpture has become my gardens now. Basically, oh. uh, you know, painting has become my interiors, my design, and finding objects and putting things together. Cool. So my my world of art really hasn't disappeared. Um, if I sat with you at a dinner table, I could probably sit across the table with a set of crayons and draw you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, photography you're still active in? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, I, I'd like to take a six-month trip and just go across the States and photo- photograph my life away, you know. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, it it sounds to me that regardless of your circumstances in your life growing up in your marriage where you were with modeling and acting it sounds like there was always a creative spark that was there with you kind of Mm -hmm. driving you in that direction Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean you know honestly to just have acting as my life I I can't imagine that I can't imagine sitting by the phone and waiting for the phone call and Mm. And and or waiting for the rejection when you hear that they're not interested in you. I mean, it's listen, it's tough stuff. And it still happens to me. It still happens to me. And then I'll get a job that's offered to me, and it's fabulous, and it's everywhere I want to be. It's everything that I want to do, and it's perfect. Just kind of an anecdotal question. At one point during one of your visits to Johnny Carson, he moves his hair and he says how do you like me do you remember what you said to him no what did i say you said i'll let, i'll take your hair anyway my next guest she's been with us uh, a couple of times before she's lovely and she is in two films which are playing right now one called the outfit and the laughing policeman and she just finished one with george c scott called the bank shot would you welcome joanna cassidy <laughs> just a simple little daytime frock <laughs> now what they used to advertise that a simple daytime frock is that an old-fashioned word Frock? Yeah, that's what they used to say. You know, if I cut my hair off, I'd feel like Samson. I mean, it's really true that hair gives you a tremendous sense of power and... and uh... Did you always wear your hair uh, that length? No, I've had it uh, much longer this, all the way down to my... Well, there. And uh, uh, it's a little bit shorter now, but it's, uh, I've always worn it sort of full, you know, to get that sort of lionessy. It, you, you do look somewhat like a... A lioness. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Simba. Simba. Hmm. <laughs> Heel. Wanna, Simba. Do you like men with long hair? If my hair was down to here and over the ears, I'd what do you like think? I'd like you anyway. Hmm? I'd like you anyway. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take, but it wasn't very, it wasn't a sexual anyone. It was very much like, I'm flattered by you because he was parting his hair and he was looking at you. He's like, what do you think? What do you think? And you're like, I'll take it anyway. It I said just, that? Yeah. 
wow. <laughs> it's quick on my feet. And you're, you're a hell of a talk show guest. I oh, say. yeah. It's amazing watching these interviews. <laughs> you're just so, such a natural. Like you were talking about how amazed you were when you were first out here and you were in an audience watching people on stage. It's you're so gifted at that, at just sort of entertaining a crowd. You know? Oh, well, thank you very much. That's a, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, Thanks. It's amazing to watch. Now, just kind of a, la- a last question on, in terms of your interviews and being on Carson, and I, we, we talked about this briefly. You kind of walking onto the set, and all the gentlemen get up. I know you think you're on with Michael Landon at one point, and um, there seemed to be this way they looked at you like yes jesus is a beautiful woman but they're also maybe this was just me but seemed to be this we can't mess with her either like we can kind of gawk at her but you weren't i just felt this energy from you like don't try anything with me boys this isn't going to work even though i mean you're this tall red-headed amazonian <clears throat> beauty that they were in awe of but they almost seemed a little afraid a little afraid yeah. yeah, and do you think it was that was that just me or is that something? No, okay. no, that's real. That's that still exists. I. But it seemed respectful. Like we can't pull one over on her. She isn't just going to do almost like your story that you told us about the hypnotist. It wasn't going to happen, and they knew that. And I don't know if that's something that was a, something that, a, a name that you were kind of rightfully bringing with you. Like, I've never thought about that. Okay, you know, I've never created the wall on purpose the wall's there and it's probably gotten bigger over the years mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just as a, a protective mechanism because again you know is a, a a beautiful woman is also pers- a lot of times perceived as just that a, a, an exterior and uh not her great brain and there's some great brains out there. I have a pretty good one myself, and and I'm not generally approached for that. So think, yeah, that's the downside of I think, especially as a woman, uh, external beauty is that you now have this thing that attracts people, where you have to get them to pay attention to the fact that there's a brain there and there's artistry and skill and everything else. Yeah. Um, because it's not with, with men sometimes that's what you have to push first and foremost because we're not bombshells necessarily. Okay, so I want to ask you about as we kind of move towards Blade Runner. But I, well, first before I ask this, the Blade Runner question, accepting your Golden Globe, what was that like? Well, I felt like I had uh, my teenage cousin's dress on. <laughs> I went up there and I, I was at the table with, here I was at the table with Dabney Coleman, and Max Wright and Gina Davis. And the big producer then, who, whose name I, I sadly can't remember because he was, he was a genius and he handled all the comedians, he managed everybody. And I thought to myself, why am I getting this award and I'm sitting next to everybody else who's getting the award? I mean, especially Dabney. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't understand. Anyway, so it was a moment where I spun that one around and then um, happily went up to get that. And the winner is Joanna Cassidy. Well, I'm shaking. Uh, Thank you, Hollywood Foreign Press. This is just fabulous. Uh, I can't thank my my cast enough, and especially my darling Dabney Coleman. What a a wonderful person. (laughs) Bernie Brillstein for putting this whole thing together. Tom Patchett, Jay Tarsus, Dennis Klein. Oh, my heart. 
Well, I just have to say something for the writers, and that is that they do something so wonderful. Us, they, they, they put down all those fabulous words that just are so great to say. Uh, anyway, thanks. Thanks very much. I have it in my closet, <laughs> <laughs> along with my two Canadian Emmys and my, my Oscar from Spain wow. and a few other things. But anyway... It was it was very exciting. I'd like to get up there and get another one. I hear you. Did you did you know what you were going to say? Oh no. No. Okay. Oh no. I was so unprepared for oh, that. Oh, you were. Okay. You just didn't think you were going to win. No, no, not at all. Wow. Not not at all. And then the one I did think I was going to win was I thought I was going to win the Emmy, um, for Buffalo Bill, and Jane Curtin won it. I was totally prepared. Right. I had everything written. <laughs> <laughs> And so when That's when they life. <laughs> called her name, I went, "Oh wow, that's a shame." Rip, rip, rip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but funny. I think that uh, of of all the things you've said to describe yourself when we've asked you, I think uh, a very nice balance of modesty and confidence is something that I see in you all the time. So I think it, it makes sense in winning an award that you would feel that you know because you're you exude that confidence, but you also have a very nice modesty to you where. Makes sense that you would recognize the other actors that were nominated. Well, thank yeah. you. That's that. Yeah. Schizophrenic side of myself, the, the Haddonfield <laughs> part that just won't let go. <laughs> and it's a good thing it's in there. It's actually, it is. It's a good thing. That's a great thing, yeah. So we were talking a little bit um, before we started rolling video about the. Uh, you, you had submitted tape for reading for the role of Joshi in Blade Runner 2049. Um, and we were wondering um, some, some background on that and some of your thoughts on the sure. role. Yeah. First, I hadn't submitted tape for that. I never oh. tried out for that role. Uh, Robin got that role right off the bat. I don't know. I don't know whether she read for the director or whether she she met with Ridley. I have no idea. But Robin was always there. I never, ever, ever had a chance at doing it. But... Um, a friend of mine who uh, coaches actors came by and said, "Let's let's just film oh. the scene. Let's have a look at this scene. Really what cool. what yeah. how you would do it, you know?" And I said, "Yeah, let's give it a shot. It'd be fun to try it and see what I would come up with." So we did it, and he put it together. And unbeknownst to me, he put it up, oh. and I got all these calls from people. Joanna, you're you know you're out on the internet there and I said what I said you better take it down I haven't even looked at it (laughs) so I then I I I may as well ask you what you thought of it I would have loved playing that part and which was beginning to lead me to say the difference between the two movies was that I felt Blade Runner one you know the first movie just I felt that the actors had such soul (laughs) even though we were replicants there was almost living flesh under there oh yeah we're very human Mm -hmm. was the expression more human than human Mm -hmm. Los Angeles November 2019 an event Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, is throwing an event during the seminal year in science fiction history. Hosted at the historic Exchange LA in downtown Los Angeles, our event promises to be a must for all fans. Featuring guests Paul M. Salmon, film historian and author of Future Noir, The Making of Blade Runner, Charles de la Zurica, 
award-winning director and director of Blade Runner, The Final Cut, as well as Joanna Cassidy, Golden Globe award-winning actor, best known for her role as Zora in Blade Runner. Los Angeles, November 2019, an event is not to be missed. For more information, go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. In the second Blade Runner, it just, it went very cold and very dark, which is interesting. But just me, and I'm just speaking for myself, I preferred the first one because I felt like I could relate more to those characters. But anyway, now back to the tape again. So, um, yes, I would have loved playing that, and I would have been very different than than Robin. Yeah, well, let's revisit some of the conversation we had off off tape. Um, I mean, you asked kind of what we thought, and you guys can give your opinion. I, I certainly thought that I think in general as a person – but especially as an, as an actor, you bring a certain warmth to your roles as well. Um, and again, not that Robin Wright isn't capable of that, but I think she just, she took the role in this very cold direction, which was worked great. I think for the role It certainly would have been different had you played it, especially in sort of the, the more flirtatious or, mm-hmm. uh, or alluding scenes <clears throat> with Kay um, where, but you know, again, it, it, her balance does fit that, sort of the Deckard and Rachel dynamic of like, oh, well, I'm really talking to a machine sort of, so yeah, I can uh-huh. kind of do whatever I want psychologically where yeah. she doesn't really respect the other person, you know? And so, so that played well, but, um, cause you know, there's certain aspects of the role where, you know, she's a, she's a police, uh, uh-huh. captain or Lieutenant, uh, sorry, Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And so she's in charge. And so there's a certain, you know, um, authority to the role they're very limited in terms of how long they can live if they make mistakes right sure have any warmth or caring right and well and it's also ostensibly she's human so there's always that mix of like humans that are sort of surprising the audience by acting less empathetic and more Mm -hmm. like replicants which is something that is brought up a lot in the first film so yeah Mm -hmm. i mean certainly it would have been fascinating but um it, it, for as long as it was up online, I know we were all going crazy watching your take. Cause we're like, Oh, this is so cool. The one downside you would have had working against you is that there is no other actor that takes on a role in both movies as different characters. So that would have been a, I think a tough one to overcome. Yes, yes, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have done it probably just simply because of that. Right. But I, I right. loved seeing it and it, it was really cool. what did you guys think? Yeah. I, so I was the one that shared it. Um, I, I think we were one of the first outlets to get that tape, and it was because somebody sent it to us. Somebody had come across it on Vimeo, and really? I, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, how did we not know about this? This is amazing. <laughs> and I went into it very skeptical. I was like, this is, I, I can't picture Zora playing this other, I, I feel uh-huh. like it would have been kind of this, you know, dissonance. Right, right. Um, and I was, I was blown away by how well it actually worked, I thought. I thought that the emotion of that scene was really close to the surface in the way that you read it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very, it was very powerful and it was very different. And um, it's funny as somebody who um, is sort of on the outside, you know, you, you, you know, we've seen 2049 dozens of times. Obviously we've seen your film hundreds of times, you know, mm-hmm. we've really grown accustomed to certain ways lines are read and to certain ways characters are yes. played and seeing a different angle of it was a, a really a genuinely amazing experience. And what was so fascinating is that people in the video, like an argument broke out where people are like, oh, she should have played this part. Oh, like, I didn't even okay. know she was up for this. Like, all these, <laughs> right. And people were like, no, like, you know, I love it the way it is. And people were like, oh, this could have been oh, a different. So funny. And it, it became a whole thing. It became that a whole really... conversation. And watching that break out was oh. so fun because, you know, fans just, it's like, it's like right Maybe at that intersection. Maybe I should put it up again. 
<laughs> you should. We you should definitely push you in that direction. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, should I really? Should I? Because oh, I, I mean, I have Especially to look at it first. I have to see it. But it's beautifully shot too. Yeah, it maybe it's I a very close profile shot. Um, put it up. And you have certainly there's what I noticed right away was your humanity. Yes. Yes. Wright didn't play it with humanity. She was almost as stone cold as the replicants, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting choice. And certainly in the scenes where she's telling Kay he doesn't have a soul, I was like, well, this is interesting because you're acting just like him. But you didn't play the role that way. You yeah. played it as a human woman, where mm-hmm. she played it as this depressive, working like almost like a Deckard, where yeah. she was just yeah. lost yeah. in her work. Oh yeah, yeah, and and lost any sense of that human yeah connection. Yeah, and walking that line between yeah. is this a replicant or is it a human? How how are they behaving? Are they a person? Right, you know, which fits. Um, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, brings us back. So certainly all three of us unanimously would love to encourage you to put that back up. It'll get a a ton of hits. All right, I'll look at it and I'll see if I like it. Maybe we'll just do that. I I love the argument. It's clear that it wasn't an audition, that it's just a a exactly Yeah, Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, people, people loved it and are clamoring for it. Going back a little bit more to the character that you did um, get to play uh, in Zora in, in, in Blade Runner in the original. I, I did have some questions for you because I was curious as to, um, you know, when you look at the deleted and alternate scenes and the different scripts, there's and the voiceover, you know, the reading mm-hmm. of the voiceover, there's so much more information to the background of the story of the original film mm-hmm. and the characters than what finally makes it into the and film. And the book. And all sure, the, you're yeah. right. And all the versions of the script. Yes, Books, absolutely. But, you know, so there's a lot of material there that they ended up whittling down and cutting. And I think all three of us are pretty much in agreement that, you know, our favorite version is the final cut. The work that Charles did is phenomenal. And, and we really love that, that, um, that final release and image of what probably Ridley Scott would have originally done. But at the same time, and I was just rewatching the deleted scenes last night. Um, and it's really, it makes me wonder what were you thinking about and what were you, um, how were you preparing for the role? And I'll bring up, um, and this line is, you know, a little bit almost vulgar, but it's, it's from deleted voiceover from Harrison Ford. And so when he's talking to himself, looking through a pamphlet of the replicants in the spinner, he gets to Zora. And so he's talking about your character and he's describing all the different replicants. And he says, uh, because you were ostensibly had been a pleasure model who had mm-hmm. then been reworked That's to right. be a killer, to be an assassin. Right. And so he said, her psychological profile looked like a combination porno tape and a very serious traffic accident. And, you know, it's a line you don't see very often because it's mm-hmm. not in the final versions of the yeah. film. But I was wondering if not just that line, but in general, that concept made it into the way you prepared for the role because it's a very dynamic character that's very different from the other replicants and leaves you to wonder a lot about is she making money for them? Why is she the only one that seems to be trying to live a quote unquote normal life where they're, you know, going to the Tyrell building and trying to do all this metaphysics stuff. So I just wanted to ask. About Absolutely. Absolutely. She's making money for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. The thing that was so irritating and I, and I, I wish I had them here with me. I just found three huge Polaroids, not, not Polaroids, but negatives of the young man who was working with me on the snake dance the entire time that they were filming we were doing the dance with my snake darling and 
I can't remember his name. No one can remember his name. It was a, <laughs> it was a black guy who dyed his bleached his hair completely white. Mm. Gorgeous man. And we had this extraordinary dance made up. It was going to be on a dune. You know, and Ridley had the snake coming in this side and my fingers were coming. You, you can imagine, I'm, you know, the sand would be dripping and the snake's head meets the fingertips and then the dance takes off. And I would have been nude. Maybe a few patches here and there, but and the audience would have been way up on bleachers, mm. very high, and like an looking arena down almost. at the uh, sand dune. And um, uh, I came in on at the end of the film, and they were ready to chop me out. Just about, they never shot the dance, which really killed me because we had done so much preparation on it and uh and then of course shooting at night and uh organizing that huge scene where he goes after Zora and finds her and kills her and I I had one take with that damn squib one take in five cameras I had to do it show it hit my mark and everything was all at once Wow. wow One take. Who gets that? That's because a lot. Of, because, of, because of budgetary concerns or something? Or? No, they didn't have enough. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. Plus, the sun was coming up. Oh, yeah, right. right. That and too, yeah. that was it. I think the next day was the last day of the wow. shoot. This that is was, the one wow. take of you through glass. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. Well, that's so, a long scene in itself. Like, oh, from yeah. the beginning, well, of course, there's the interior. Right. Um, but from him from you running out how long, how many days did that take to shoot because you guys are everywhere you're down below you're up oh yeah you're no, that took around. that took days that t- the my whole time on the shoot was three weeks mm. so between doing the interior and the, him coming in the hair dryer you know and my changing out of that look because that that look itself with the the sequins and sequence and the makeup that was a three-hour makeup job sure wow. sure you know and then they had change me one night into the my hair and not have it wet and slick back and take all that off and redo me but i'll never forget when lee pulford my stunt double came in to to do the scene i said i mean this is how insane the budget was big and everyone was freaking out warner brothers was freaking out we're gonna take this film back and blah 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 i mean it's a whole to do 3 a.m these hair and makeup people are going through a chest with old wigs on it. I said, "You don't have a wig prepared?" Oh my god! For this oh actor, god. and it's that three a.m. The wig, yeah, <laughs> that's the wig. And she's going to go out now and do my stunt. With and she's hair. only going to do it one one time. <laughs> Looking like that. <laughs> Looking like that. I was livid. Sure. Wow. So Lee's doing the best she can, and there and I kept saying, "No, not that one, not that one, for heaven's sakes, not that one. Come on, get get a decent wig on her." And so, but they were old; they weren't even combed out. I mean, this is what happens in some of the most important scenes, and this has happened in my career. I didn't end up on that poster, and I should have always been on that poster. And it's a thing that has bugged me. They added me later, and some awful stick on thing <laughs> just, just, just I couldn't Except believe for the it. Final cut you ended it was up on. yes exactly and it was, it was awful it looked nothing like yeah, me yeah. anyway 
So Lee did it. She did a beautiful job. Beautiful job. And I, for, for 25 years, I sat around with that film like that. And I kept saying, I want to redo the scene. I want to redo the scene. I want to redo it. Let me do it. So 25 years later, we went on a set in Culver City, got the makeup, got it was my hair, and redid it. Yeah. On a green screen. It's so amazing. And and what an opportunity. That that just doesn't happen a lot in movies. I'm so glad. Yeah, well, you know what kind of a that. pit bull I am? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I wanted that to happen, and it did. And then I did my own snake dance. I hired a crew. Right. Hired a, a snake handler. Had four snakes come in. And uh, we did it. We did it last minute because we did some still photographs. And that's a whole story unto itself. But now, mind you, I was in my in another decade. And I wasn't going to be naked. And I was a little, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I had had maybe my dancer to work me out some. But anyway, I thought it was, uh, you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, this yeah, one's on yeah. YouTube. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. right. Yeah, it's up yeah, on yeah, YouTube. All right. And, uh, of course, I'm using his music but uh, that's a whole other story too but it's so it's so interesting hearing the other side of it it's it's been this ongoing saga in some ways for you this 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 thing that it's crazy to think you know as a consumer of movies yes that these things happen in such a compressed time span Mm -hmm. like you were there for three weeks Mm -hmm. you know but we've been living with this thing for 35 years Mm -hmm. right um and it's just incredible but it's it's interesting to hear that for you the movie also didn't stop in that three-week time period, that it's kind of been there, coming back up through the decades in some ways, and you've still been a well, part of it. yes, and I have an answer to that, because yeah. I'm that, that's a movie that people put together with me. Yeah. So if they're going to put it together with me, God damn it, it's going to be right. <laughs> and I, sure. I have been like an absolute pit bull about getting it right mm-hmm. and getting all the elements that I was promised in there Whenever it got done, whenever I could get it done, and it got it got done. Sure, yeah. I mean, and the, the stunt double is a proxy for you. Nobody thinks, oh, this is a stunt double. They just associate the entire performance with you. So yeah. Well, now you can see that it is me. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. And those guys did a phenomenal oh, yeah. job. Phenomenal to blend that in like that. Yeah, I, they I, really I, did. I, it's, it's seamless. When it's, you got that call is. for redoing it, were you like, how, what took you so long? It was like two days ahead of time. I said. Thanks for the warning. This is, like, <laughs> I mean, this is this is like being back on the set again, yeah, having right. to, you know I've got you know you keep me to the end, and and then all of a sudden I have to squeeze the squib, and I get one <laughs> shot. Right. You know, so it was kind of like that. But it's okay, it's okay. I got it done. There's something about this life and this. I call it a a queen's part, because that death scene to me was mm. one of the most extraordinary oh, death yeah. scenes with that music oh yeah, oh, yeah. E- ever made i would really mm-hmm. say i mean i don't see many like that that if, i still cry when yeah. i see it oh, I, yeah. I just it's still intense. cry it's just it's so otherworldly to me it's so moving it was like a ballet <laughs> the report would be routine retirement of a replicant which didn't make me feel any better about shooting a woman in the back there it was again, feeling in myself for her, for Rachel. 
And I just really felt like I couldn't leave it like that. It had to be right. So my persistence paid off. Yeah, it did. And yeah. and we can speak, certainly speaking for certainly our fans, but mo- your fans, most Blade Runner fans, about how incredible a job that was all, the work that Charles did and the work that you did. It was just, we're all really impressed because it, it doesn't, not only does it not take away from the original work, it fixes everything and makes it the beautiful piece of art that really it was meant to be. From it the does, and Charles is phenomenal the way yes. he came back in and, uh, you know, just kept insisting that he make that box set with everyone in the comedy. This is a movie for forever. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies, and they're so rare. I, I oh, can't yeah. name them on, you know, both my hands. I, I just, they're not there. This movie's extraordinary. Yeah, seminal. Yeah. In terms of the process of you getting the role, was, were you auditioning? How did that happen? Did, did they say, no, we want Joanna? No, 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 it wasn't that. No, I, I, uh, I had to meet and I, my agent was talking about it. He was British. Bobby Littman. <laughs> Come on, Joanna. Just, just, you've got the snake, mate. You know, just go on in and meet him, you know, and <laughs> tell him you've got the snake. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did meet with him and told him that. And he read with me. That was back in the day when a director could say, no, I want her. I want her. All right, you want her? I don't. Her? Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. 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 I want her, and and he would have what he wanted. That those were those days. So that's how that happened. Did you bring Darling to the reading? No. no. How, how did you get him? Can I ask? Uh, from a rather eccentric drug dealer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, a friend of mine just. Uh, had him. I, 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 my children were young. I mean, I had all yeah. kinds of creatures in the house. I had this <laughs> funny little, you know, chameleons that roll up. And anyway, I, I had everything: parrots and snakes and birds. Oh, wow. and, you know, so I, I education. Think, I think a lot of people don't realize until they read *Future Noir* that that was your actual pet. I think people, no, I think they a lot don't. Of people miss out on that. Yeah, no, they. Yeah. <clears throat> And he was a wonderful actor in it, wasn't he? Incredible, he was. yeah. a tremendous yeah. stage presence, especially oh, yeah. because you, the way you're having to set him down and <laughs> yeah, that's and the way he grabbed onto the yeah, that's yes. some intense yeah. intense stuff for an animal. There's certainly absolutely and there's a comfortability that, that you have and, with him. Yes, that you could tell like okay, she's not afraid of this thing. No, and you know when I pick up when they're going to bite, it's like in the YouTube that snake had been in his box all day and he was mm. pissed off. Uh-huh. And so I, I said to the handler, I said, let, let, let me work with him a little bit. Because, oh, this was the best part of the story. So he was the first snake that he took out. He was a, like a, 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 he's like a, a diamondback Australian boa. Um, and they're, they're, boas are pretty mellow, but he was a little feisty. Anyway, the, 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 the assistant makeup girl, the first thing she did was reach for him. Mm. Well, he bit her. I said, are you dead or something? (laughs) You don't ever reach for a snake and you walk. It's like a dog. You Mm -hmm. go up and just put a dog in your hand. And it's anyway, some people are just not not aware. But (laughs) so he went away for a while. 
most of the day actually. So when he got out, he was he was pretty pissed off. So we did a couple of rehearsals, just going down the hallway, just to time it with the music and so on. And then t- towards the end, um, I actually think it's on the one that's online. He did make a grab for me, and I moved my head out of the way because oh, wow. I knew wow. he I knew he was coming for me, and wow. it was all right. I'm their bites are not it's it's frightening but their bites are not bad you know right there's no venom it's more about pressure as opposed to teeth right well yeah mm-hmm. yeah because because it's only a few back and mm-hmm. they could they head back anyway it's not bad <laughs> so that was uh that story I have a couple we, we probably have a lot of like kind of quick questions we can kind of run through okay yeah, i know so we got maybe 10 more minutes yeah so just just uh I, here's a kind of rapid fire okay. question for you did you interact at all with philip k dick on set did he was he there at any point when you were there he came in okay. he came in to see the uh the kind of the final cut before blade runner was released and and he was he was really blown away really he was blown away i, I he was boggled actually <laughs> I, I can't think of another word for it. I don't think he expected that at all. Wow. He was but he really thrilled. Oh, he, he very much so. Did Did you consider Luba from the book a, a predecessor to Zora? Do you remember Luba from the novel at all? Gosh, no. You know, I haven't, you know, it's been too long since Luba was telling me. She was an opera singer. Okay. Uh, she was a replicant who was on the run in the book. And, right. uh, and she was hunted down basically the, this, in a series of events that really mirror what happens with Zora. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also the only one who was sort of out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as like a, a part of society. Mm-hmm. And she was a performer. And her um, a lot of fans of the book relate to her a lot and, and sort of the way that a lot of fans of the film relate to Zora, I think. Mm-hmm. Is they're kind of kindred spirits. So I was, I was wondering if, if he had talked about character no, with you or anything. No, he didn't. Interesting. He didn't. We, we never brought that back. He was very insistent on having this um, uh, exotic dancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, Phil K. Dick was. Or Ridley. Ridley. Oh, Ridley was. Ridley. Okay, right. No, I think Dick would have loved, you know, because he has all these parts of his, had all these parts of his mind. He was such a creature. He was such a fascinating man. He would have loved to have seen all of them up there, yeah. you know, because they all were of interest. But I think that uh, Daryl Hannah's part maybe came closer to that because she was so delicate right. in a way. I mean, delicate, but not, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But she had that kind of look, that sort of sweet look, whereas I was ferocious. Mm-hmm. Zora yes. was yes. totally ferocious. Well, that ferocious. was my other rapid question, so I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna, then I'll, then I'll oh, stop. Right. Okay. But, uh, something in the film that's always stuck with me, and you know, I saw it as a child for the first time, and I used to get, used to scare me a lot. I gotta be honest. Oh. There's a transition point where Zora goes from being this sort of beautiful dancer, sort of, you know, this this very kind of um, statuesque uh, replicant to being terrifying. You know, you kind of become mm-hmm. weaponized. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, um, do you remember your thought process behind that? Because it's just the way that everything shifts so suddenly is so jarring to me. When mm-hmm. you attack it is jarring. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you remember what you were thinking about when you did that? I just want insight into that day of shooting. Yeah. I, I do remember. I, I remember that I had, I had to sell this, you know, I mean, that's, that's my job. And I, I had to go from being sort of someone somewhat passive, but very there, strongly there into someone into the killer, mm-hmm. and and my only thought during that time was to survive because 
I knew he was going to kill me. So that's really what it was. Kill or be killed. Yeah, I think you, the way you acted that scene out was the exact embodiment of Bryant's lines from earlier when he's briefing Deckard in the blue room with the smoke at the beginning. Uh And they're going through the profiles and he gets to yours and he says, talk about beauty and the beast. She's both. Mm -hmm. And I think that you Mm -hmm. could not have embodied that statement any better in that scene. And it was so interesting that for a part where you're certainly partially nude at the Mm -hmm. beginning of that scene, Mm -hmm. it's not sexualized. You go from being, you know, pleasant, pleasant enough to Deckard and, and being polite, but suspicious of who he is and what he's doing um, to all of a sudden, like you said, survival mode. And I think, yeah, it, you really see the, that, that, that different side of the coin and you embodied that so well. It's a, it's a phenomenal scene. Really. What's, what's interesting yeah. too about that scene is in most or a lot of films, when a woman is disrobing in front of a man, there's this vulnerability, but Deckard felt vulnerable. Yes. You yes. You did not. Yeah. And you were like, fasten me up. It's very, it's a, there's a power dynamic going on where you have control. Oh, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just it's something that you don't you don't see mm-hmm. uh, a lot, um, especially in context of a man being with a woman. Of course, it wasn't sexualized, but it's very, it was very male. Yes, it was very male. Yes, I know. You when held I... the power, mm-hmm. and uh, I, it's and I'm I'm curious to what do you why do you think people Zora has such a following? And I, I did some research. Um, I was like, I wonder how much screen time Zora has as, as opposed to Rachel, and. It's like two minutes difference between how much Rachel wow. screen time and how much you have screen oh, time. Oh, yeah. for heaven's sake. In the, um, in the final cut? Uh, in the final cut. That scene, you're, you're running, there's such humanity in, and this woman wants her life. She just wants to be left alone. She just wants to live out her life. And, you know, you get shot in the back and all these things. But I'm curious, what, it is, what do you think it is about that character, your character, that keeps people kind of circling around you for so many years because they don't do that with Pris. Pris no. has a, a big role. We see her a lot. She's there with J.F. Sebastian. Of course, you know this. But Daryl Hannah's Pris does not have the attention that you do. I think I know exactly the answer to this. You know, when we dream our dreams of flying, we dream of being characters, I'm sure you've had these dreams where you are almost out of body, where you can take off, you can do these incredible things, like a superhero. Mm -hmm. And I think that Zora for both men and women, it's like, it's so sexy and exciting to, she controlled her life. Mm. She ran for her life. And there was some, there's something so thrilling about it that she almost gets away. And she was uber trapped. Look at our life now. Our lives are, are guided by all this technology and this stuff. And they're sort of running us. Next thing you know, we're going to have cars that we don't drive. We won't even be able to, you know, power our own things up. Our, our, our lives are going to be down to minuscules. We'll be told what to eat, what we can. She was free. Zora was free. That's how I felt about her. She was a free spirit. She was there for a reason. She wanted to help her group. She did it in her way because she was beautiful. She had the strength to do it. 
And when she saw that one of her tribe was killed, it wasn't going to happen to her. So she was, uh, you know, she, like most humans, she's a pack animal. And pack animals stay together, you know, they know where they have to be, they know how to save themselves, and I think it's, it's an instinct that is very, very primitive in us. And I think that character was just so riveting, because she did everything she could to keep from dying, everything. And I think that were people really given that inspiration, that passion, I don't know why most people don't have that, but in not having it, they could put it on Zora, and through Zora, they can see that that's possible. So that's what I think people love about it. Does it make sense? Totally. Yeah, yeah that makes uh, an, an immense amount of sense. Yeah. That's a great answer. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know we got a wrap, Jamie. Did you want to kind of um, <clears throat> talk about concluding? Sure. Uh, briefly, you went to the... Um, cast or premiere of 2049 mm-hmm. how was that oh well unfortunately we had just had that i know yeah. uh, terrible stuff going on mm-hmm. and uh, a, a terrible incident so it was uh muted yeah it was it was and it it should have been a much more exciting night but i but it was exciting enough because mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, Robin was there, and of course Ridley, and uh, who else? Uh, James almost came in for it, and there's a picture of you and Sean, I think. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a picture of Ridley and I too that uh-huh. I yeah. that I put yeah. up. That's yeah. that's yeah, in there too. There. Um, and it was just great to see everyone again. It was great, and and I'm glad that the this whole Blade Runner thing is carrying on. You know, it'll never die. No. It'll never it's die. It's probably the it most was... seminal science fiction film ever made. A- absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And people all over the world of generations of age and cultural background, it speaks on very universal levels. I think for the same reasons that you just elucidated so beautifully. It gives us vehicles to see ourselves more effectively and also in it from a fantasy standpoint of like who we would be if we felt like living was as important as it really is and when you see yes. a character like zora or a character like roy batty fighting for the very last bit mm-hmm. just to to eke everything that they can out of life yes. i think it's something we can all it's just it's an evergreen theme yeah you know so even yes. from the aesthetic standpoint and from the art standpoint it's obviously just seminal but from a thematic standpoint i think it's it's one of those great pieces of art that will always be relevant you know and and you were a huge part of that, and it's it's a it's a real honor. Oh, thank Absolutely. you very so much. Thank you, thank you, so you. Much. Yeah. thank, thank you, you, you guys. Us. We've Thanks had um, we've had people on our show that we've like a trans woman named Evie that we've spoken to where she sees herself as a replicant, as someone who people don't see as real. Whether people of color, the LGBT community, uh, really relating to replicants, like uh-huh. this is us. This is our struggle oh. to be seen as real, <laughs> really? to be seen as as humans by kind of the heteronormative society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's the story where all of us, no matter what walk of life we come from, we see ourselves as maybe Deckard at one point, yeah. maybe Zora at another point, running for our lives, trying to do the best the best that we can do. So it's this story that is incredibly universal that I've never experienced again, except for elements of 2049. Yeah. So 
Thank That's you so much. That's very exciting. Very exciting. Thank Great. You, Love your enthusiasm. If you're a fan of our show, consider contributing monthly through our Patreon. We offer exclusive, unedited episode access, shout-outs, guest appearances, and monthly updates as to what we're working on. Our pledges start off as little as $2 a month, less than the price of a cup of coffee. As always, thank you for listening. We are who we are because of our listeners. www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support.